Hey, what's up, students and parents? Welcome to The Point Podcast. In this special episode, as we are posting our latest sermon from our series, The Greatest Story Ever Told, where we are believing that the greatest story ever told is that God is redeeming the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that this is the story that the Bible is proclaiming. And in this series, we've been talking about how in order to understand that story better, it is best that we understand the covenants that God makes with individuals and with his people, and that these covenants provide a framework for how we're to read the entire story of the Bible. And so we've looked through all these different covenants, and this week we've looked at God's covenant with David, where God promises him rest, God promises him a son to reign after him, and then God promises him a throne that's going to reign forever. And so I do want to apologize. The audio is not great. We've had some difficulties recording the sermons on Wednesday nights, um, so there's a little bit of static in the audio just to let you know, but uh, you can kind of listen through it, and it's not awful, but it is there. And so I apologize for that, but you can still hear the words, and so, man, I hope that this sermon encourages you in your walk with the Lord, and uh, we cannot wait to see you the next time we meet. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me review real quick where we've been. Man, we're going to have to move tonight, and we can do it. Let me review where we've been. We've been talking about the greatest story ever told, right? Hey, can anyone tell me what the greatest story ever told is? Yes, resurrection. That's pretty good. Does anyone remember? Olivia, you're about to kill it tonight. Yeah, she's killing it. You remember? For the sake of time. Wait, what is it? Boom. That's what we're saying. I'll say it in the mic. There you go. But that is what we are saying is the greatest story ever told. Ready? That God is redeeming the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That that is what the story of the Bible is. And now what we believe about that is is that that's seen all throughout Scripture, right? Genesis to Revelation, that's the story that's being told. But the covenants that we've been going through help us see that picture more clearly. It provides kind of a framework for how we see the greatest story ever told. So we talked about Adam and Eve, right? How just in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as sin enters the world, God looks at the enemy and says, bro, you're going to lose, right? And he says you're going to lose through an offspring of the woman, that there's going to be a man that comes that is going to defeat the enemy. We looked at in Noah how God says he's not going to destroy the world, but instead he's going to redeem the world. We looked at in Abraham where this redemptive plan really begins to take shape, where God promises him land, offspring, and universal blessing, right? That God's going to do that through this man named Abraham. And then later, at the Ten Commandments, you see the commandments right there, the tablets, that God has saved his people. He's creating a people for himself, and he begins to kind of give them the commandments and the law to show them how they are to live in light of his salvation. And here we are tonight with the crown. Who, who are we talking about? You remember? David, yes, talking about King David. So remember, our prayer for this series is twofold, right? One, that helps you read your Bible better. That, that you will read your Bible in a way that says, okay, this is not 66 random books that are just kind of have something to do with each other and kind of flow together. But instead, no, this is 66 books that is telling one story. But then also, on top of that, that we understand that you and I are in a covenant relationship with God today, right now. That, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, by grace, through faith, we've entered into this covenant relationship with God. So the covenant language of the Bible matters for you and me. Does that make sense? You with me? Nod your head like that. There you go. Thanks, Katie. Nod your head. Cool. So that's where we're at. That's our prayer for this series. So tonight is a major, major, major covenant in God's word. I, I was thinking in prepping for this, you know, there's been numerous things in, in the Bible that, or in the world, I mean, that has happened, it's been invented or created 
that's literally changed the entire course of history, right? Not every invention does that. Not, not every creation does that where it literally changes the world as we know it. I thought about all the way back to the Roman roads. Remember studying about those in history class and stuff where the Romans began this intricate road system that for the first time, the world was literally, you, you could literally get to anywhere in the world pretty much, anywhere in the known world through that road system. And that's the very system that began to develop and we've learned so much from in the way that we do our roads today, which is pretty cool. Uh, I thought about the printing press, right? Big deal, huge deal, and, and just the history of the world that not only changes that present moment, but also changed it forever, right? And now you don't have to just hand, can you imagine having a hand copy everything? Wouldn't that be terrible? You're like, I don't even use paper, man. I use my phone all the time. But that was a major, major invention. And speaking of phones, phones are a pretty big deal too, right? Something that changes the present reality, changes everything that's going on in the world, but also has drastic implications for the future as well. So what we're looking at tonight reminds me of all those things. But because God's covenant with David is such a big deal in Israelite history, but here's what's awesome. It, it doesn't just change David's present. It doesn't just change the reality for David in that moment, but listen, this covenant begins to set a trajectory that's going on through all of history and, listen, even through all of eternity, which is a pretty big deal, right? This is a pretty big deal. So let's start reading in 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Is that, does that fade out? Okay. Got it, wasn't me. 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. We're going to get to verse 8. That's where the covenant promise begins to come in play. But remember, when we're reading our Bible, we, we don't want to just jump in. We kind of want to know what's going on around the passage that we're at, right? So let's read this. It says, when the king, that's David, had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I've not dwelt in a house. But instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with the Israelites, I've never spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So we're getting to verse 8, but it's important to know what just happened, right? David is the king. He's just conquested a bunch of places. He's conquered a bunch of people. And finally, he gets to chapter 7, verse 1, and it says the Lord has given him rest. And so there's something that's been on David's heart. And, and he says this in verse 2. He asks the question to the prophet Nathan. Yo, Nathan. Why? Hey, Nathan. What's up, dude? He says, yo, Nathan. He said, why am I living in this house built of cedar, but the presence of God is outside living in a tent? Because here's what happened was when the people of God are created, right, at Mount Sinai, God instructs them to build for himself a tabernacle. And this is a movable thing that remained in the center of the people of Israel. And it was a camp, right? It was literally a tent where the presence of God, presence of God resided. So David actually asked, I don't know about you, I think that's a pretty good question, Right? Like, Nathan, why should I be in the palace, and yet God is outside in a tent? So you know what David gets in his heart and his mind is David wants to build the Lord a temple. Pretty good idea. I, I, I think so. Pretty good idea, right? And so do you see what Nathan does in verse 3? What does he say? He says, so Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan just gave David his blessing. Now, have you ever had someone in your life 
tell you that something was going to happen, and you get all excited, and you get all pumped up about it, and all these things, and then like 30 minutes later, they text you or call you and be like, hey, dude, um, actually, no, it's not. Like, Sabrina has been driving me crazy for a lock-in, for a lock-in, because Sabrina's insane, and she doesn't know that everyone loves lock-ins until 1 a.m., and that everyone hates each other, and the sin, and the sin nature that is prevalent in the world just magnifies itself in a lock-in. She doesn't know that, but what if one night she came up and said, Justin, we have a lock-in, and I said, you know what, Sabrina, I've been thinking about it, and yes, Macy Estes is going to run it. She's going to kill it. She's going to do an incredible job. Sabrina gets so excited Right, she gets so excited, like, yes, I'm telling my friends, I'm doing all this stuff. And then by the end of the night, I come back to Sabrina, and I'm like, hey, I told you this was going to happen, but Macy wasn't too happy, and because uh, you would not be happy, would you? <laughs> and so I said, hey, it's all Macy's fault, because that's what leaders do. They pass the buck, right? I'm just kidding. And uh, I'm just kidding. And so I said, hey, it's all Macy's fault, but we are not doing it. How's your reaction going to be? Yes, okay. That's exactly what just happened to David. Did you notice that when we read through it? He says, man, why am I living in a place built of cedar and God is living in a place that's built like a tent? And Nathan says, go, do it, bro. Build it. Build the temple of the Lord. And yet the prophet comes back to David because the word of the Lord comes to Nathan. It says, actually, listen here, actually I have a different purpose for David's life. Do you see that? What we're going to see is actually David's son is tasked with building the temple. David is not. You know what I wrote in all caps right here? You read it and you can't see it in all caps, which is okay. Listen, chase the purpose that God has for your life. Listen, I put your there in all caps and bold. Chase the purpose that God has for your life. Because you know what I do believe in this room? I believe that generally all of our purposes are the same in this room. Here's what I mean by that. Romans 12 says what? That in view of God's mercy, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, for this is our spiritual act of worship, right? So every single one of us in this room, the mission of our everyday, when you wake up and don't go to school tomorrow, praise God, you know what I'm saying? When you wake up, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. When you wake up, though, and do whatever you're going to do, guess what the mission of your day should be? You ready? To die to yourself, to present your body as a living sacrifice so that the Holy Spirit of God might live through you. Does that make sense? But here's what's cool, though. You ready? Some of you tomorrow are going to present your bodies as a living sacrifice on a sports field. So some of you tomorrow might present your bodies as a living sacrifice at a job that you might have. So some of you, when you grow up one day, might present your bodies as a living sacrifice in a job in Uptown Charlotte, while some of y'all might be teaching elementary kids every single day of the week. Are you hearing me? Now listen, listen. Worry about the purpose that God has for your life. Because listen, you know what's crazy? David, if I was David, because let's be honest, building the temple is a good thing, isn't it? It is. I mean, that, that's a pretty awesome thing. If I'm David, I'm sitting there saying, Nathan, you know what? No. That's a great goal I have. God would be honored by that. I'm going to build the temple. But instead, David has to realize, no, God does not have that purpose for my life, but he has that purpose for someone else. So I don't need to be worried about what God's purpose is for someone else. I need to be worried about what his purpose is for my life. Because listen, I, tonight is a great example. Because man, Darrell, I love you. But bro, you sing so much better than me. Right? Does he not? Yo, dude, come on, man. Y'all, y'all answered that so quickly. Listen, I know, I know, I know. I was, you, you know what would be terrible for me to do? You ready? It's a great example. You know what would be terrible for me to do? 
for me to sit here and, and listen to Darrell sing and hear him lead worship and be like, dude, I wish I had that gift. So, man, I, I wish that God had that purpose for my life. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be wasting the gift and wasting the purpose that God had for my life. Because you don't know need to be content with. Here you go. You ready? You ready? I need to be content with the fact and okay with the fact and celebrate the fact that God has given Darrell gifts that he has not given me. He's given me gifts that he has not given Darrell. And so instead of worrying about doing what he's doing, I want to encourage him, give him, give him opportunities to do this, but I need to be okay with serving the Lord where he has me. You with me? So listen, worry about the purpose of your life. Encourage other people. Absolutely. And find out what they're doing and push them and encourage them. Absolutely. That's what the body of Christ is all about. But God says, David, you're not going to do this. Your son's going to do it. Pretty humbling moment for him, isn't it? But what's amazing is he is okay with it. And God is about to promise David some incredibly awesome things. So look at what it says in verse 8. It says, so now this is what you are to say to my servant David. So notice what's happening here. God is speaking to Nathan the prophet, and then Nathan is going to communicate to David what God has said to him. Does that make sense? Y'all see this transaction happening? Okay. So now this is what, so this is God speaking to Nathan to say to David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you, like that of the greatest of the earth. Isn't it incredible how similar that is to where we were last week in Exodus chapter 19? If you remember in Exodus chapter 19, God is about to give his people the law. He's about to give them the Ten Commandments. And you remember what he says to Moses? The very first thing he said to Moses on Mount Sinai, he says this, remember how I brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. He says, before I give you the law, but before I give you the terms of our covenant agreement, Moses, I need you to remember where I brought you from. Isn't it crazy here how similar that is? That before God tells David what he's going to do in his life, before God promises anything to David, he says, David, I need you to remember where you were before I got a hold of you. You know what's cool? If you don't know where David's story begins, it begins back in a pasture shepherding over sheep. Samuel was a prophet, and Saul's been kind of having a bad run as king, and so God says, I'm going to anoint a new king over Israel. And so Samuel, by the Holy Spirit, is directed to the house of Jesse, and he goes up to this house, and Jesse's probably pumped, right, because he's like, one of my sons is going to become king. And so in that day, the right custom would be to get the oldest son and present him. So David get, or Jesse gets his oldest son. He brings his oldest son to, ne- to Samuel, and he says, all right, Samuel, here it is. And the Holy Spirit of the Lord tells Samuel, not him. He goes and he says, okay, it must be my second oldest son. This is a little weird. He gets his second oldest son. He brings him to Samuel, and Samuel says, nope, not him. He goes son by son by son until finally Samuel asks, do you have any more kids? Listen, David was an afterthought. David was just out in the fields, right? And Jesse's like, well, we got David. He's out there. He's our youngest. He's out there, though. He's doing his thing. He's doing fine with the sheep, but that's him. And Samuel says, bring him to me. David comes, and the Lord tells Samuel that is him. God says, I brought you from that, David. You were watching over sheep. Now you're ruling over people. 
You, you were killing off wolves and stuff, and now you've killed giants. You've slayed armies. You've done all these amazing things. You know what's almost as if God is doing? He's saying, David, I'm about to do something so awesome in your life. David, I'm about to promise you some incredible things that you might not believe. So you need to remember what I brought you from and let that strengthen your faith for the future. You know what I'm learning in my life? Is that past events in my life where I've seen God do incredible things, when I look back on past events, that strengthens my faith for the future. That makes sense? Like, I'll just be real, real honest with you. I'm in one of those moments where right now. Because y'all love camp, right? I mean, I love camp too. It's awesome. And it's, it's a blast when we get off the bus. But, dude, there is so much camp planning stuff that you have no idea about. That you just show up and go. And you're just like, man, this is awesome. I'm here ready. Let's do it. And I'll be honest, man. There's some times, like in the last two or three weeks, that like, just the thought has crept in my head. Not that I don't love you. I'm just like, man, is this worth it? There's so much calls, so many emails, so much prep, so much stuff like this. And you know what I begin to think about in those moments? I begin to think about how I was 12 years old at a summer camp. And the Lord revealed to me that I was not following him. That I knew a lot about him, but I never repented of my sins and gave my life to Christ. And it was at 12 years old at a summer camp that I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, that's awesome, right? I remember I look back at all the different friends I've seen baptized in pools, baptized in oceans, baptized in a lake. I look back and see all that God did in my life, all that God's challenged me, even last year seeing all that he did in your life. And I look back at all he's done, and I look towards the next two weeks, and, man, my faith just begins to rise. Because God has been so good. Why would he not continue to be good in my life? I mean, I love what he does here with David. He's about to promise David these awesome things. He says, but David, before I tell you what I'm going to give you, because it's about to be a lot. I'm just letting you know, you need to prepare yourself. Like, this is about to be a loaded promise he's about to give David. He says, David, I mean, can you just imagine, David, a day before Samuel showed up at his house, if he'd have told David out there with the sheep, hey, bro, a prophet's about to come. He's going to anoint you as king. You're going to rise up in the ranks. You're going to kill a giant. You're going to do all this stuff. You're going to reign over Israel. What do you think David would have done? He'd have laughed, right? God, there's no way, man. And God's saying, look at all that I've done. And so look at what God goes on to promise David, I think we could, we could talk about it in a lot of ways, but I think he promises him three major things. And this is God's covenant with David. He promises him three major things. Let's read verse 10. He says this, I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will continue to oppress them as they have ever done. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord will make a house for you. You know what I think, and I read this, where the Lord promises rest to David and rest to his people. And you know what I think? I think that's something that all of our hearts in this room desire. Like, I don't care if you're in ninth grade or 12th grade or an adult in this room. I mean, the ability to lay your head on your bed at night and have no worries, ha have no fret, have no fear, have nothing like that, isn't that something that all of our hearts desire? So listen, some of you right now, let's just get real. Can we get real tonight? Some of you right now are frustrated because you're giving yourself to people who really don't care about you but you're giving yourself to them because you feel like they're going to accept you and provide something for you that you don't have, and that's going to make you feel comfortable and give you rest. 
that people chase money and people chase all these things because they feel like they can gain that and achieve that rest in their life. Y'all see this all the time, don't you? And yet God promises David here, David, one day it's going to come. David, I'm going to plant you. And I'm going to plant you. Isn't that a cool imagery? I'm not really a gardener. My grandma's back here. Y'all say, hey, my mom. She's the bomb. She's a big gardener and stuff. And you know what? Actually, if you think about it, planting something is pretty violent, isn't it? It's pretty intense, right? I'm going to take a shovel and I'm going to dig a hole. I'm going to take something. I'm going to throw it in there and I'm going to pack it down and make sure it's good. But you know what's awesome? You know what's awesome? When that thing grows, if it's planted right, ain't nothing moving it. Ain't, ain't nothing disturbing it, right? And God says, listen, this, this is so cool. God says, David, I'm going to plant you and your people and my people. I'm going to plant you. And in this suite that he says, and no one will ever disturb you again. Isn't that awesome? So here's what's cool. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. That's cool. Because you, know you know what's cool? Here, here's the awesome thing. Because I said the, day, the, the, the Davidic covenant, that's what we call it, right? The Davidic covenant, God's covenant with David, has present realities for us, but it also has future realities for us. You know what's awesome and it's incredible? And I'm going to try not to get too excited here. You ready? Right now, students, because of what Jesus did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection, when he begins that redeeming the world, right? Through Jesus, listen, students, you can have that peace and that rest that he's talking about here. You know what's, you know what's awesome? You ready for this? This is so good. This is so good. I don't have to go to bed tonight tossing and turning, wondering if I preached a good enough sermon or lived a good enough life today to get into heaven. Isn't that like the best news ever, right? That's the greatest way, right? Because I don't have to worry tonight and I don't have to sit there in bed and say, okay, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I keep that wall? Did I not keep that wall? Did I honor Jesus here? Did I not honor him here? And then I go to bed and I can't sleep at all because I think my eternity hangs on something that I did. Man, we can rest tonight knowing that Romans 5.17 says that we have been made righteous through one righteous act, that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast that I can rest in Jesus. Students, some of you tonight are struggling with that rest because you feel like you don't measure up, because you don't feel like you're good enough. Listen to me. The cross declares over your life that God is for you. The, the cross screams over your life that God loves you. So, man, you might not feel like anyone else does, but he does. And the cross is screaming that over your life. What incredible rest and peace that can bring us. But you know what I love is that provides a present reality for us, but you know what it also does? There's a pretty awesome future hope that's there, isn't there? Because you know what, man? This world is jacked up. This world's messed up. Sin, sin has done a terrible thing to it. And you know what I love, though? When you read Revelation, I was talking to Leah Where's Leah? Where's my friend at? She said that she read Revelation. And I was like, you're crazy, but that's awesome. She read Revelation. And you know what I love? You know when you get to the end of Revelation, you know what happens? If you really read it, you know what it begins to look a lot like? Really begins to look a lot like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That, that God is redeeming the world. That God is making all things new. And so right now, it's crazy, but guess what? There's going to be a day when there's no more hurt. There's no more pain. No more tears. Some of y'all cried a lot of tears. Some of y'all have cried way too many tears to be in high school. And there's going to be none of that. There's none of that. That God is bringing us to a place of ultimate rest. That's what he promises David here. That's awesome, isn't it? That we get to experience that now, but we also get to look forward to it. So he promises him rest. Second thing he promises him, let's go on reading in verse 12. 
says this, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you a descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So right there, he's saying, your son is going to build a house for my name. So Solomon is going to build the temple. Solomon is David's son. And listen to what it says in verse 13. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and blows from mortals. But, everybody say but. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, when I removed him before you. So here's the second thing God promises. He promises him rest, but secondly, he promises him a son to reign after him. And isn't this what every king wants back in, right? Like, aren't you glad that, like, we don't get, like, the president's son? And I'm not just saying that, like, for Trump. I'm saying, like, for any president. Like, cause just because your dad's awesome or just because someone's dad's awesome does not mean your son is necessarily awesome, right? Like, aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? But that's how they did it back here, Right? That's how they did it in this day. And so it's a big deal to have a son. And so God tells David, David, there is going to be an heir that comes up after you. But here's the better news in that. You ready? And this is where it gets to us, and this is awesome. Is that God promises him a son that's going to reign after him. And you ready? God's faithful love will never leave him. That's good news. Because listen, what it says. What does it say right here? It says in verse 15. uh, Excuse me, verse 14. Yes. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong. Do you notice the verb is there, the language there? What's it say? When. Can I tell you what? Some of you need, this might free you up tonight. You ready? God is not surprised when you screw up. Well, that's a novel idea. But some of you might be beating yourself up over the head because you feel like you're letting God down. Listen, God is not surprised when you fall short of the perfect standard he has for your life. Am I right? He ain't surprised. He looks at David and says, when your son messes up, he knows it's going to happen. He he knows it's going to happen. And isn't this what's crazy? This this has been blowing my mind through this series. And if you don't get anything else out of these six messages, I pray you get this. Isn't it crazy that God is continually binding himself, listen to this, continually binding himself into covenant relationships with people who constantly fail him? Isn't that crazy? I mean, let's just go down the list. Adam and Eve, what happens? They sin, they fall short. You know what God does? God makes the covering for them. They don't sacrifice anything. God makes it for them. What happens in Noah? God makes a covenant with Noah. You know what happens in the same and next chapter? Noah gets drunk and messes up in a major way. And guess what? The earth is still here. God kept this covenant. Look at what happens with Abraham. What did he do? God makes him go to sleep, doesn't he? He says, boy, you go to sleep because I'm going to commit myself to you because I know that you're about to try to sleep with your servant to bypass my promise. I know you're going to mess up, so Abraham, I'm going to enter this alone. What does he do with the people of Israel in the Ten Commandments? What happens? Moses comes off the mountain, and they're already breaking the first commandment by worshiping a cow. God is continually binding himself to people who constantly fail him. Think about David. What happens just a few chapters later? This man who receives this incredible promise from God is about to commit adultery and then kill the woman's husband that he slept with. That's about to happen. Solomon's going to mess up, and yet God is sitting here saying, when he does wrong. Now, did you notice this? This I can't pass this up. I know I need to hurry, but I can't pass this up. You ready? It says, when he messes up, what does he say? I will discipline him with a rod of men and blood from mortars. You know what you you need to get in your head tonight? Listen right here, every student in this room. You need to get in your head that just because there's discipline does not mean that there's a lack of love. 
Man, I wish our parents were in here. We got some that could amen me right now. Because listen, some of you might struggle with thinking your parents hate you. Listen to me. Just because they discipline you does not mean they don't love the crap out of you. Just because they take something from you. Just because, now listen, 99.9% of parents in here, I believe this 100%. 99.9% of parents in this room, when they discipline you, they do it because they have your best intentions in mind. Now, so listen to me, you ready? It's not your job. I'm sorry, I didn't get this. It's not your job. I'm being serious. I, I'm being serious. Look, it's not your job to judge whether their intentions are right. It's your job to honor them in whatever decision they make. That just because, listen, I would love for y'all to clap for that, but listen, y'all need to clap for that. Y'all need to live that. You know I mean? That's great if we clap for that. But some of y'all need to honor your parents tonight. Sorry, we're getting real. Listen, though, just because there's discipline in Solomon's life does not mean the Lord does not love him. He says, my faithful love will never leave you. And, oh, my gosh, does that not apply to us today? Like, if anything else doesn't scream that, the cross does, right? So when Jesus says, bro, I got this. I know you're going to fall short. I know you're going to mess up. I got it. God promises David rest and his people rest. God promises him a son that's going to reign after him, and his faithful love is never going to leave him. That's really good news for you and I. It's really good news. And the final thing that God promises him is this, and this is when it gets epic. What does it say in verse 13? He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's that word say? Say it loud. Forever. Go down to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me, what? Forever. And your throne will be established for what? Forever. You know what the third thing he promises him? You ready? Is that God is going to establish a throne for David and a kingdom for David that's going to reign forever. Now listen here. I want you to listen up close to me. This is really hard for us to get our minds around. (laughs) And it's really hard for David to get his mind around. You know why? Ready? Because if you go to your history books, you know what the entire narrative of the world is? What are the world? You ready? Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. Am I wrong? I mean, what? We can just go through the list, right? Uh, the Egyptian civilization, it really lasted as like the prominent empire for like 550 years. But then it kind of faded out and it's still here. But, well, you know, whatever. The Assyrian Empire came. It reigned the world for about 300 years. But then the Babylonians overtook it, and Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, they had their time. Persia overtook them, though. They had their run at the world for about 200 years. Greece had a fun time for about 350. Rome is probably the closest we've ever seen, where they're dominating the the known world. But guess what? Even they only lasted for about 500 years. If you fast forward, what happens? Napoleon and the French, they have their moment. The King of England has his moment and their time. And just to be frank with you, the United States of America right now is having our time. But guess what? Students, there is one kingdom that will reign and last forever, and it's the kingdom of God. There's one, listen, there's one kingdom. There's only one. That's what God promises David. So listen, there should be no surprise for us. This is so cool. This is why reading your Bible as a whole picture is so much better than just reading individual parts. Because what happens in Matthew chapter 1? You get to Matthew chapter 1, what's verse 1 say? This is an account of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of who? Not God, David. Because you know what Matthew's doing? Remember Paul Revere in the history books? 
this alerting, saying the British are coming. You know what Matthew's kind of doing in a way? He's ringing the bell. He's sounding the siren saying this. Ready? The king is here. The, the one who was prophesied about here that's going to sit on the throne of David forever, he is here. So students, listen to me. This is why when we get to Revelation and we get to Revelation chapter 19, you can read this incredible, beautiful, awesome picture about who Jesus is and how he's coming back. And you know what Revelation 19 verse 16 says? You heard of this? It says this. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. So listen to me. You ready? You're saying, Justin, um, oh, I gotta be careful. Y'all, y'all trust me. Listen, you're saying, Justin, are you saying the gospel's political? Absolutely. But listen to me. Listen to me right here, everybody. It is not the type of political that bends, that bends the knee to a certain ruler, to a certain king, to a certain president, to a certain party. It's the kind of political that looks all of the kingdoms on this earth and stares them in the face and says, look, you're having your fun now, but you will not reign forever. There's one king, there's one kingdom that will reign forever and ever. It's hard for us to really get a grasp on how politically charged the book of Revelation is. It's really hard for us to get a grasp on it. But can you imagine if you're a first century person and you're reading this? Rome is dominating the world, man. I mean, I mean, if you told a first century Christian, hey, Rome is going to end in like 200 years, they probably would have been like, no way. Rome is dominating the world. You know what Revelation is doing? It's standing toe-to-toe with Rome and saying, you will not reign forever. Why, why do you think, I was talking to Courtney about this the other day, what, why do you think the Christians in the early church are being persecuted? Why, why do you think they're being killed? Listen, because Rome is saying that you have to say Caesar is Lord, and guess what Christians are saying? No, he's not. Jesus is Lord. Now, I want to be clear. You better be, you might be like, um, Justin, are you saying that you're, like, you're not patriotic or... Like, do you hate America? That's not what I'm saying, right? Um, I, I think I'm a pretty patriotic person. I think I am. I went to a NASCAR race. I mean, that's America as it gets, right? Listen, listen, listen. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, I love what Steve prayed a couple, couple of Wednesday nights ago when, when he stopped and just said, man, we need to be thankful for where we are because you know what? I've not thought for a second about someone busting this room and arresting us for being here. That's, that's pretty great, right? You can't really do that anywhere else in the world. Almost. Well, you can do it a lot of places, but not every place. Isn't that awesome, though, that we have that? And so, listen, are you saying, Justin, uh, should we vote? Yes, I think you should. Listen, I'll be vulnerable with you. That was one of the biggest decisions of my life because I didn't prioritize voting when I first was able to. One of the biggest regrets of my life. I should have done it, and I didn't. Should we vote? Yes, I think we should. You're saying, Justin, should we be concerned about political issues? Uh, absolutely we should because life, because justice, because righteousness is at stake. So listen, but here's the deal, though. I need to be concerned with the baby in a mother's womb just as I'm concerned with the man sleeping under a bridge right now in Charlotte. That I need to be concerned about these things, and I should support and vote people that way. Absolutely. You say, Justin, should we not be intense about this? Yes, we should, but students, listen to me. Is my confidence, is my hope, and is my rest found in a government made up of sinful people, voted in by sinful people? Tell you what I, I remember let's just we're already there let's just go there let's, I, I remember um where i was the night that i don't really remember the past elections that well because i just didn't care at the time and i wish i would have but I, I remember where i was in my dorm the night that you know the vote was going down is it is it trump or is it clinton is it trump or clinton and i stayed up the whole night I stayed up like 2 2 a.m and uh it was awful i was at school and i should have been sleeping but i stayed up 
And um, you know what I remember from that night more than anything? Man? I remember the, the aftermath of it immediately where one side was elated and the other side was depressed. Right? But so many people were elated and so many people were depressed. And I, honestly, I didn't see a ton of people in the middle. Right? It was kind of one, one or the other. You know what's going to happen next year? I, I don't know. Who's gonna win? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in four years after that. I don't know what's going to happen in 2028. I, I don't know. But you know what I'm, I'm going to bet's going to happen? One side's going to be elated and one side's going to be depressed. You know what I remember thinking? Ready? I, I remember thinking this that night, sitting there on the news watching this. I remember thinking, and I don't live out this perfectly, but I was thinking of that night. I am so glad. I'm so glad that my hope is greater than that. Do I care? Yes. Am I concerned? Yes. Actually, actually, no, because Jesus is redeeming the world. He's making all things new. That's what my hope is. I don't, I don't want my four years of life to be made by who's sitting in the White House, right? Because, man, I know there's one king. There's one kingdom who's reigning forever. Does not mean that I'm not concerned and focused on issues? No, I am. I'm focused on issues. Does it mean I'm not passionate? I am passionate. I listen to, like, three political podcasts a week. I like it. But my, my hope is not in sinful people voted in by sinful people. My hope is that the kingdom of God is going to come. And kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but that's the kingdom that's going to stand forever. And isn't it cool, man, as we're getting to communion together, isn't it cool that literally every other ruler ever comes and he conquers, comes and he campaigns and comes and he does all this stuff and yet we have a king of kings and lord of lords who comes as a baby in a manger surrounded by not people worshiping him when he does get sheep and and, uh, wise men yeah but he's surrounded by sheep cows and all these animals and he comes and he does not come and just conquer and rule what does he do he lays down his life for us he's buried in the ground for us and he's risen again to life that's my king. That's my king. Hey, listen, listen. Listen, so I hope, I hope, I hope is that, man, we can experience the rest that we have right now in Christ, absolutely, and he's bringing us to a future place of rest. And man, the faithful covenant love of God has never left us. And then finally, not that I ignore things going on, not that I don't get passionate about things going on, not that I don't get focused on things going on, but my ultimate hope resides and that the kingdom of God is going to come. And nothing can topple that kingdom, and nothing can overthrow that king. And that's really good news.